You know, the song that we just sang, Heart of Worship, um, or before that, I thought that I liked the kind of stripped version of our worship this morning, uh, the living room feel. Um, I, made a, I made a comparison of me and Caleb one time. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I said that he is a uh, filet mignon on a very nice ceramic plate, and I'm a ribeye on a paper plate with some paper napkins. Uh, and I kind of felt like that was our vibe in our worship this morning, too. So <laughs> that's a really odd way to say that I enjoyed that. And good job, uh, Andrew, and the worship team. But um, gosh, I'm weird. It's okay, though. Nothing new. But that song, uh, to me, that song is an old song, I'm assuming. It's been played and been written for a long time. But to me, that is such a timeless reminder of keeping the main thing the main thing and I I really enjoyed that song and um, to be reminded of the heart of worship and who it's all about is is exciting and something that we oftentimes need to be reminded of this morning Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24 our title this morning is out with the old and in with the new and Ephesians 4 and all of Ephesians this is what Paul does Paul breaks it up he splits it up dead in half in chapters 1 through 3, he talks, he, he gives these spiritual truths, and then in chapters 4 through 6, he says, okay, this is how we apply these things. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person, I always tell people this, is you can't beat around the bush with me. If you beat around the bush with me and you throw me hints, I'm going to miss them. Ask my wife. I miss them every single time. Paul, the way that he writes, I really appreciate, because what he does, he says, here's the deal, here's, here's what you do. Here's how you apply that. And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. He talks um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you want to look at that with me, I'm going to read this real quick to give us a little bit of context, a little bit of background to what we're looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. This is Paul's prayer for these people. Towards all the saints, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who feels all in all. If you look at chapter 1, what we just read, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, you see, you see Paul's desire for the people that he's writing to. And to sum that up in a sentence, Paul wants these Christians to experience the fullness of Christ. He is addressing these Christians. He's praying for these Christians and all of the things that he mentions. That's why we read uh, chapter, uh, verses 15 through 23. That's his desire for these people. Well, this is, in a sense, the chapter, the split, right? Where he says, okay, here is, here is my desire for you, is to experience Christ in his fullness. Where we're going to be this morning in chapter 4 is, hey, 
God has created in you an old life. We got to get out the old and bring in the new. And that's a constant practice, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. But what we see this morning is the application side of what we just read, of Paul's desire to, for these Christians, all Christians that would have read this, even us now, to experience Christ in his fullness. If you look with me in chapter 4, in the preceding verses, we're going to be in, in verses 17 through 24, but... In the preceding verses of that, if you look at chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He then gives, hey, this is how I want you to do that. But he, he urges these people to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling, worthy of the calling of Christian. In this morning's passage, we see that Paul exhorts us, commands us, calls us to action to do the same exact thing by us actively putting off the old self, who we were before we knew Christ. We still war with that, right? We still have, we still have sinful, deceiving desires that we battle with each day, even as Christ followers. The call to action from Paul is to put those things off, live in the new. For us to experience Christ in his fullness and to walk in a man manner worthy of our calling, it's a process of sanctification. And in that sanctification, it is a constant practice for us to be out with the old and in with the new. This morning, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 19, it says this. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. God, I come to you and I ask you right now, Lord, that you would remove every distraction from us and God, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive the truth of your scripture this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our first point this morning, first of two points, what we see in, in verses 17 through 19, you see a split. It's split in two sections. And what Paul does is he gives us a contrast. He's talking to these believers and he's saying, hey, this is what the old life looks like. Your call as a Christ follower, is to live in the new life. And what he, what he shows us in verses 17 through 19, he shows us the contrast of what it looked like when we were not followers of Christ, what it looks like for unbelievers in the way that they live. If you notice, verse 17, he says, Now I say this, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, Paul opens this new section from, he just went from the first 16 verses in chapter 4 of talking about the importance of being united in Christ, to be unified together as brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the Lord. He then moves to this and challenges us as believers to war against sin, put off the old self, put on the new. He opens this with a serious tone. He gives his people a command, and he's clearly speaking to Christians when he says that you must no longer walk 
as the Gentiles do. He's making a clear contrast of the life of a believer and the life of a Gentile. And if you're like me, when you initially read this verse, verse 17, when he says, now I say this in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, For me, initially, that's confusing because we all in here are Gentile people. And when, he, when, when Paul is talking and refers to these people as no longer walking as the Gentiles do, these people, the majority of the people that Paul would have been writing to in this time would have been Gentile people, simply meaning non-Jewish people. But what Paul is addressing here when he says to not walk as the Gentiles do, to no longer do that, he's just simply using this word Gentiles to refer to people who are unbelievers, people that are separated from God, that do not have a relationship with him. Paul's instruction to these Christians is that you can no longer live a life that looks like that of an unbeliever. His call and his challenge is to say that there must be a distinction between the two. It has to look different. The purpose of living for an unbelieving person is, is, fu- is futile. Boy, that's a tough one. Don't let me get tripped up on that one. Um, a word, a synonym for that is useless. Right? That's kind of a big word to explain something that's simple in its meaning. And what he means by that is that they have no purpose, right? And I'm not saying it, I'm not saying that people who do not have a relationship with God are useless and their life serves absolutely no purpose, but when it's all said and done, all that anyone who has that does not have a life, a relationship with God, all that they have lived for in their life, ultimately, because of the truth of Scripture, we know that it amounts to nothing. It amounts to an eternity in hell separated from God. And this is Paul, again, showing this contrast. What Paul's saying here is he's addressing, he's writing this specifically to address these Christian people. And he's saying is that you, Christian, you have a purpose. God has created you for a purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God in all that you do and to share the gospel to those that do not know Christ. That's the purpose. What Paul wants us to see here, the contrast, the reason for his contrast, is that he wants us to, what he's saying is that how can that purpose be carried out? How can that purpose be carried out if we as Christ followers are living in a way that shows zero distinction between us and the world? Zero distinction between the unbelieving world. He continues in verse 18 to say, explaining The unbeliever, he says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 18, Paul shows the separation of the Christian and the unbeliever. As an unbeliever, the understanding of the truth of God's word is tainted by sin. It's darkened by sin. This doesn't mean that an unbeliever, this doesn't mean that an unbeliever doesn't understand right and wrong, but we know the power for those of us who have a relationship with Christ. We can, we can look back to what we were before we knew Christ and knew that we were blinded by sin. Sin has a blinding effect on us, right? The darkness of sin, it blocks out the ability to see the light of Christ. And for that to change, if you look at John chapter 6 and verse 44, you should see it behind us on the screen. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws me, and I will raise him up on the last day. For that to change in someone's heart, there must be the supernatural drawing from the Lord and the realization of our weight of sin. And that realization means that our sin 
hurts God. And it doesn't make us just sorry for what we've done, but it breaks us, and it should break us because it hurts our God. But God has offered us a way out of that through his son Jesus. And that's what Paul is, is showing. He says, you have a new life in Christ. Put off the old and live in the new. Paul says in verse 18, he says that these people are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The ignorance that Paul speaks of here doesn't just mean that it's not just a mere lack of intelligence, but this is a separation, a moral separation of what is true. There's a lot of people in this world that have died, the smartest human beings on this planet, the most intelligent people that have died without a relationship with God. Knowing who God is is different than knowing who God is for yourself personally. Paul is, Paul is not saying that these are dumb people, but these people lack the understanding of Christ, the understanding of the truth of Scripture. And the consequence, the reason for this is, is because they have a hardened heart. Paul explains this better and makes this make sense a bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, you'll see on the screen. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them spiritually because they are spiritually discerned. What I want you to notice in this scripture is right at the end it says they can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's where we find our discernment. God gives us discernment. Those who are separated from Christ don't have the Holy Spirit, so therefore they lack the, the spiritual discernment that a believer would have. Verse 19, he says this. Because of their hardened heart, they have become callous, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Because of the hardness of heart of these unbelievers, they become calloused. They become desensitized to sin. And, and I think about it like this. My, my grandfather wanted me so bad to learn how to play the guitar. Uh, I, I'd rather go outside and, I don't know, ride dirt bikes and shoot basketballs and throw football than I wanted to, to do that. And if you want me to be honest with you, I was weak because it really hurt my fingers. And when you think, it really did, and I didn't like it because of that and never picked it back up and probably won't. But when you think of a callus, I always think about, uh, my papa used to always tell me, he said, look, it, it'll only hurt for a little while and then they'll callus over and you won't even feel it. It's the same with sin. We grow desensitized to sin and you can, I remind myself of what it was like for me before I knew Christ, before Christ changed my life, changed my heart. I truly was desensitized to these things. I was calloused to the sin in my life, and I didn't, I could do, disrespect my parents straight to their face, and it wouldn't faze me at all. This is what it looks like, the life of the unbeliever. Again, Paul is showing us the contrast and saying, this is not what your life is to look like. Separate yourself from the old and live in the new. Because of the hardness of heart for these unbelievers, it causes there to be little to no conviction of sin in one's life, what we just talked about. And a lot of times, I think, us as believers, we make a mistake. And the mistake that we make is that we, we expect unbelieving people to act like believing people, when truly, they're acting just like what they are. And our response to that shouldn't be to shame them for the bad that they do and the wrong that they do, but rather pray and ask God to soften that heart 
to soften their hearts into John 6, that he would draw them unto himself. We know this to be true, and, and Paul brings light to this. He says, they become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sin has a compounding effect. The more we go on sinning, the easier it is. Sin is addictive. It's destructive. It's deceiving to us. It's not only true for Paul's not just saying that, hey, this is, this is what the unbeliever looks like. But Paul is calling these people even now to be Christians, to beware of these things. Beware of the effects of sin. Beware of, of growing desensitized to sin. It's not just for the unbeliever. This is why you see Paul in the passage commanding believers to put off the old and to put on the new. If you read behind the text, this is something that Caleb taught me when I was about 18 or 19 years old. We had a Bible study at Spring Hill. We met in, in, in him and Brooks' house, and I didn't know how to read my Bible at all. And he mentioned this phrase of reading behind the text. And I was like, oh, what, what does that mean? I just read it and say, this is what it means for me. But if we read behind the text here, we know that there's a reason that Paul is addressing this situation. The reason for that is because it's an issue. It's an issue because these people are having a hard time of kind of straddling the fence, having one foot in the old and one foot in the new. And Paul's call is to live in the new. And that's an act. I mean, that's an act of war. We have to battle against that. It's a constant practice for us to put off the old and to put on the new. And the sad, sad truth to this is that all sin is self-inflicted. Every bit of it is self-inflicted. Notice in, verse, in this verse, Paul says that they have given themselves up to it. He says that they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And what Paul is saying here is that they have completely given themselves over to sin. And when he says greedy, pra greedy to practice every kind of impurity, this is, a sh this is a short list of all the many sins that we could name that we live in as unbelieving people. They've given themselves up to sin as a whole. Paul's doing two things here. This is what I see Paul doing here. Paul is showing us the contrast of the life of the believer and the life of the unbeliever. He does this to remind and to urge these Christians to war against the old self. I also think that Paul is showing us, if we, we read this earlier, but as we move kind of into the second half of our passage, you're going to see that we have an identity in Christ. And what I think Paul wants us to see, I think primarily the instruction from Paul is to take action. To take action into war against sin and to put off the old and live in the new. But I think something else that Paul wants us to see is to know who you are in Christ. Know who your identity is as a believer and follower in Christ. And what that is is that the old has been put to death. The new has come for those of us who have been reconciled with Christ. Paul's command is to no longer live in the old, but to rather live in the new and to rest in our identity in Christ. Second point this morning is the new self. This is where we see the, the passage 17 through 24 break. It talks about the old self, and now Paul is talking, verses 20, 20 through 24, Paul's talking about the new self. Verse 20 and 21, it says this. He says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. I've said this before, but you have to love the big butts of the Bible. This reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you look at the first half of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you see that Paul, you see that Paul is saying, hey, this is what your life looked like. You were alienated from Christ. You were away from Christ. You, you invested in things that were deceiving. You were children of wrath is what he calls us. And then he says, and I think it's verse 4 of Ephesians 2, uh, he says, but God, being rich in mercy... And he continues in that verse to show us what God has done. Paul's doing the same thing here. He said, that's the old. You remember the old that you live in? And he's saying, but that's not the way that you learn Christ. I kind of imagine it like, I don't have kids, but I imagine it like a, a, a parent would be to their kid is, you know what's right and wrong. Why are you doing what's wrong? Do what is right. You know what you have been taught. I have taught you the right way. Do what I have taught you. And I think that Paul is, is kind of calling us to the same thing and, and reminding us of, hey, this is not the way that you learned Christ. And what he, means, what he means by that is that he shows us that what Paul is showing us here is that there is a separation. He knows that the, the people that he taught here he knows that he taught them the, the truth of the word and that they have been raised, and raised up in the truth of the word and equipped and know what the truth is. Paul, he continues to bring light to this distinction that a believer must have apart from an unbeliever. He shows the lifestyle that he previously talks about concerning unbelievers, and he shows us that that's not one that marks a Christian. And he says, but that's not the way. That's not the way that you learned Christ. Paul uses this strong language to show a, a stark contrast. And what he wants us to see here is that the separation between what we were and what we are is profound. And it should be reflected in our lives. As I was studying this passage, I was using, we use commentaries, maybe for Caleb, but for me, I'm, I'm not that smart. I have to have help. I can't just read this stuff and and understand it super in depth. Um, but I was using this commentary called Bible Ref. I would encourage you guys to do that. And it, and it gave this sentence. And I think that this sentence, in one sentence, if I was to sum up what I want you to pull from what we're talking about this morning is exactly this. And if you have a pen, you need to write it down. I'll say it again. It says, the separation between what we were and what we are is profound. And it should be reflected in our lives. If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, please remember that. Understand what God has done in your life is profound. Ask yourself the question, do I treat it like it's profound? Would other people come look at me and say, there's a distinction? The truth for a lot of us is maybe sometimes Maybe sometimes not, because we struggle with that, right? We still struggle to war against sin. But be reminded of what you were before you knew Christ. Remind yourselves of who you were before you knew Christ. And that should absolutely make you explode in praise to what God has done in your life now that you know Christ. Moving to verses 21 and, and 22. He says, assuming, continuing this sentence, he says, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful 
desires. To give you a little context, verses 21 and 22, it could come off a little bit confusing. He's saying, I'm, I'm assuming that you've heard the truth, right? Well, Paul, in his time in Ephesus, the time that he spent there, he preached in a couple of different places, and he preached to a lot of different people. So a lot of these people, this, this letter uh, would have circulated to many different people, to Jewish Christians, to Gentile Christians. A lot of people would have read this letter, and a lot of people would have received the teaching from Paul. And what he's saying here is that I know, the, I know the truth that you were taught because I taught you the truth. Assuming that you learned the truth, he says that I know that I taught you the truth. What Paul is saying is that these believers that Paul's writing to, they knew the way that they learned Christ. And in, in no way did that promote sin. And it's almost, I almost kind of receive it this way as Paul saying, you know better. You've been taught you know the truth of God's word. Live like you know the truth of God's word. This passage as a whole to the people that it was written to, to us, would serve as a reminder to these Christians to live a life that is set apart from the rest of the world. And I ask you this morning is, what does that look like for you? To live a life that is set apart. What does it look like here on Sundays and Wednesdays when we're serving together in church? And what does it look like the other five to seven days that you're at work? Are the conversations the same? It's more than just the physical outward actions that we, that we do, but it's, it's also a thought. It's also thought, word, and deed. It's, it's all of those things encompassed together. I ask you this morning to think about that. Is the, is the distinction there? Is there a distinction of the old and of the new? And honestly, we... There is some, and sometimes there's not, because we struggle, again, to war against that sin. My encouragement to you this morning is not to receive this as a, well, you better do better. Paul is hitting application heavy here. He really is, and that's the design of this letter. It wouldn't have been read in verses 17 through 24. It comes off like, boy, we need to really get after it. We really need to do better at these things. This would have been read in, in a whole. You guys don't want me to do that because we'd be here for an hour and a half. But this letter would have been read at one time. And what Paul wants us to understand, what Paul's doing here, is he's showing us that you believer that desires to live a life for Christ, to go back to chapter 1, 15 through 23, to experience him in his fullness, the unmeasurable riches of his grace. That doesn't just happen by happenstance. It's a war. It's what we call sanctification, becoming more like Christ. It continues in verses 23, 22 through 23 uh, and 24 to show us, hey, this is what it looks like to put on the new self. Verse 22. He says, you are taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 22. To put off, this is what you were taught, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 21, Paul goes from saying, you have been taught the truth, you know the truth, and now in verses 22 through, 22 through 24, he moves into, here's what you do with that truth. Here, here's how you act in that truth. It's a call to action. The call is to put off the old self. 
putting off the old self is an act of war against sin. If you're familiar at all with the, the letter of Ephesians, then you've heard of the, I would say that most people have heard of the armor of God. This is literally an illustration that Paul uses of battle, right? This would have made so much sense uh, to these people in this time because they still as, would fight frontline battles and they would wear all of these different pieces of armor. That's that's not an illustration that is relevant for us today, but if you understand the intent of Paul in Ephesians 6 and all of Ephesians, is he is preparing Christians for war. Sin is a war. His call to us is to war against that sin. As Christians, when, when God changes our heart in salvation, it doesn't mean that we immediately stop sinning. It doesn't mean that we just completely stop sinning. When God changes our hearts, he changes the desires of our hearts. And I believe as a Christ follower that in an instant, as God changes our hearts, some things do immediately change. But as we grow to learn and know the character of God deeper, then we grow to understand how much more our sin hurts God. Not to put us in a pit of shame and guilt, but if you learn how much more your sin hurts God because you understand his character, you understand that God never asked you to be perfect. You understand that God gives grace for those things. But you also understand that as believers, God calls us to obedience. And he calls us to be serious about our walk with Christ. Notice what Paul says as he continues in this verse. He says that the old self belongs in the past. The former manner of life was corrupt with deceitful desires. And what we see here is that sin is deceiving. Sin deceives us into making us think that the things that we're doing are good for us, that they are right. But that's the deceiving part of sin. The, the reality is those things aren't. And it's not what's best for us. And what, what I think Paul is telling us here is that those things, they belong in the former manner of life. This is not who you are anymore. The call here is that as a child of God, we are to actively not be associated with the same sinful things that we lived in before knowing Christ. I kind of think of it like this. Oftentimes as believers, we treat our relationship with Christ like a fake ID. We treat our identity in Christ like a fake ID. And if you don't know what a fake ID is, it's a fake ID of yourself. I don't really know how to explain that in any more simple uh, way than that, but if, if you, have, you have an identification card, if you are able to drive, you have your ID. People ask you to see your ID, and on your ID, it has all of your information. Your, I wish they wouldn't put my uh, height on there, but it's un, that's, I, can't, I can't help that. Um, but you see on an identification card all the information about this individual, right? And it should match who that individual is. Well, if you're doing, maybe doing things that you're not supposed to, people will make a fake ID, a fake identification, and they will be someone else. And this illustration, to me at least, it, it, it strikes a chord with me because a lot of times I find myself, even personally, treating my relationship like a fake ID. Here, to you guys, maybe I'm one way. And I'm full transparency here. And maybe in the five days that I'm at work, Sometimes it looks different because I struggle with the same things that you do. All of us do. It's to continue. It's a constant war against the old flesh and the old deceiving desires of sin that we have. It's a war against those things. And I think the call here is to 
not treat it like it's a fake ID. Understand what our identity is in Christ and live in that. But that takes work, and that's hard to do. And God doesn't expect you to do that perfectly. Thankfully, he doesn't. But God does call us to live as Christ followers. A way for us to constantly be warring against this sin is to renew the spirit of our minds. A good way for us to understand this is to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. I think we have it on the screen. There we go. Romans 8, uh, chapters 5 and 6, it says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, but, accord, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I also want to give you another reference to make this make sense in what Paul is talking about in the renewal of the spirits of our mind. You can look at Romans 12, uh, verse 2. It should be behind us here. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love what it says in these, in these scriptures. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. So how do we take what Paul is telling us right here to renew the spirit of our minds? Well, it's to fix our minds on things of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Invest in yourself things of Christ. Invest in understanding the truth of God's word. A good practice for that, a practical point of application in that is to know what God's word says. Remember what God's word says. Actually memorize God's word. If there is a sin in your life that you struggle with that plagues you in your mind, go to God's word, memorize that scripture, and when that comes up, quote that scripture. Put things, set your mind on things of the Lord. In my opinion, this is an act of putting off the old and putting on the new at the same time. This is something that happens simultaneously. This is not a call just to physically put off the old, but to also war mentally against the sinful thoughts and desires that plague us. If we go outside and we play or do something like that, a lot of times our clothes get uh, sweaty and they get dirty. Well, is it enough for us to just take our clothes off and then are we clean? No, we have, to, we have to clean ourselves. We have to go get in the shower and wash our body. And it's the same with our relationship with Christ. It's not just to say, okay, I'm a new creation, but it's to act, actively be putting off the old and investing our, our minds, our, our minds, our, our, the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to change us from inside out to become the new that God has called us to be as Christians. The act of the act of putting off the old and putting on the new, it's a threefold connection of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual. And for this, for this to work properly, it has to work in unison with one another. Close in verse 24, it says this. Verse 23 says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul commands us in verse, 20, verse 24 to put on the new self. Putting on the new self is an act of sanctification. When we're sanctified, we are becoming more like Christ. 
Becoming more like Christ comes with the call to do what is right. It comes with the call to be set apart. Our lives should look different from the rest of the world. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we have been made right before God. In our being made right before God, we are to be set apart from the rest of the world. As Christians, when we come to know Christ, we become a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Praise God for that. Praise God if you're in this room, if you're in this church this morning and God has changed your life. Praise him for that. For those of us who have a relationship with Christ, we can rejoice that the old is out and the new is in. God has changed us and he is continually changing us. As Christians, our heart's desire is to live in the fullness of Christ and live in a manner that proclaims his glory. On this side of eternity, the truth is that's a battle because we still fight the battle against sin. Paul's letter, when this was written then, and Paul's letter now is relevant. It's the same to us. The call is the same to us because we're no different than these people. In our everyday lives, we struggle with the old sinful flesh and wanting to give in to those things. It's still a battle for us just like it was for these people. It's like we talked about earlier. If you read behind the text and you think, well, what is the purpose of Paul addressing this situation? It's because it was an issue. And for us, it's an issue just alike. And our, our call, the call to these Christians in Ephesus, and this letter that uh, the people that would have read this letter, it's the same for us, is to put off the old, constantly war against the old, warring against sin, and put on the new, and rest in the identity that we have in Christ. Paul continues in uh, much of through the last half of Ephesians to go on and apply what this looks like. This morning, we took a snippet of that in verses 17 through 24, and we see Paul's command, right? But something unique that Paul does, and the reason I'm such a big fan of, of his letters, of his writings, is he didn't just say, hey, you need to do this. But he says, hey, this is how you do this. This is the how-to in that. And I encourage you, we won't this morning, but read through the last half of Ephesians. Read through that, and Paul says, this is what that looks like. This morning, I want to take just a moment as we kind of wrap this up to talk about what does it mean for us. This is what I want you to understand first. Believer, rest assured in your relationship with Christ. Most certainly be broken over sin. Be broken over sin, but do not be defeated by sin. Don't let your sin plunge you into a pit of just shame and grief and guilt over these things, but let it point you to Christ, to know that God doesn't ask you to be perfect. I'm not saying that that's a license to continue doing what you're doing. You get a free pass of grace. But understand that God doesn't require that of you. But understand that God does call us to accept his forgiveness and grace because he has given it to us as his children. Accept his forgiveness and grace and continue to press on and fight the good fight. We don't apply this in just the way of modifying our behavior. You read this snippet and this half of Ephesians, Paul is very applicational in in the way that he writes. He's very applicational in the way that he writes. And it looks like, do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this. It's more than just do's and don'ts. It's more than just behavior modification. But it's a call to continue to be sanctified from the inside out. This doesn't mean to cut yourselves away from the unbelieving world, but it does mean what we read in Romans 12 and verse 2, not be conformed to the world. I'll show you something in Ephesians 5. 
Ephesians 5 and verse 7 and 8, it says this. Paul continues this thought. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, walk as children of the light. Paul's call in Ephesians 5, 7 through 8 comes from what he's been talking about. Putting on the new self, putting away the old, putting on the new. His call in Ephesians 5 and 7 and 8 is a perfect point of application. He's not saying to totally remove yourself from the unbelieving world. How could you do that and still be a witness for the life of Christ? You couldn't. But he says, do not become partners with them. It's the same call that we see in what we just read in verses 17 through 24. Paul's call to action is for there to be a distinction in our lives. There must be a separation. Something else I think that we take from this is is to be reminded, and we've, we've talked about this already, but be reminded. Remind yourselves of what your life was like before you knew Christ. It sounds depressing, right? But those of you that are Christ followers, when you remind yourselves of what your life looked like before Christ, all that can do is show you how amazing of a God you serve because he has changed you from those things. And I want to encourage you this morning, something that we do here at Fellowship, thankfully by God's grace often lately, is when someone comes to know Jesus and they follow in believer's baptism, um, They read their testimony. And this is an awesome opportunity to look back and say, yeah, this was my former manner of life, but that ain't who I am anymore. When you think of that in your life, don't be discouraged and feel guilty and shameful about who you were then because God has changed you. You are a new creation in Christ. Allow that to fuel your witness to other people to fuel your witness to those that don't know Jesus. Be, be proud of what God has done in your life. You don't have to be proud of, of what you were before you knew Christ, but use that as an opportunity to share your testimony because as long as you just keep that in, love that we do that here because I, I am positive countless times because of a testimony uh, being read here, people are able to relate to those things. God uses those things. Yes, leave your former manner of life war against the old, and live in the new creation that God has created in you if you have a relationship with him. But allow that part of your testimony to fuel your witness. And finally, ask yourself this question. Before you ask yourself this question, remember, this isn't just the do's and don'ts, let's do better, right? It's not just that. Paul is applying this for us, but it's also to be encouraged by who we are in Christ. And I ask you this question. I want you to think about this as we, as we wrap up. Is there a clear separation of the old and new? Is there a clear separation in your life of the old and the new? And think about how to refine those things, to continue to refine your faith, to dig deeper, to grow and to learn the character of God. And as long as you do that, you will look back a year later, two years, five years later, and say, I'm different than I was even then. I was a follower of Christ then, but I have grown in my relationship with Christ. I don't want you to be discouraged this morning. The life that we live as a Christ follower is, it's a struggle. The road is rocky, but the destination for those of us who are believers is sure. We know where we're going. So this morning, I don't want you to 
be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged and excited this morning about what God has done in your life. Rejoice in that. And allow that, allow that to push you, to strengthen you, and to encourage you to press on. If God right now is just impressing upon your heart, yeah, there are some ways that we can, I, can, I can refine that. Ask God to help you to do that. Like we said, it's, if it was just as simple as just changing our behavior, it'd be a lot easier. Ask God to change your heart in those things, that you would be changed from the inside out. And we, to be just encouraged to go and attack the life that we live. Attack sin that you struggle with. And know that the victory has already been won in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to urge you to put off the old self. Maybe God currently, maybe right now, is working on you. And he is drawing you to himself. Maybe he's been working on you for weeks. Maybe he's been working on you for years. I want to encourage you to let that go. Let whatever is holding you back in that, let that go. And if you don't understand your need for Christ, then I want to share the gospel with you. If you go all the way back to Genesis, there was an issue. Sin entered the world through one man. If you look in Romans, I can't remember exactly what chapter. Sin entered through one man, and life entered through another. That's Jesus Christ. There was an issue. Man couldn't fix it. You have an issue. Sin. God sent his son Jesus to fix that. Our sin separates us from God. It's more than just wanting to do better, but understanding that our sin separates us from God and, and understanding that he has given us a way out of that, and that's his son Jesus. And if you're warned with that this morning, I just want to encourage you to stop fighting against it. I can speak from experience and say it is the greatest decision that you will ever make. It's tough, too. It's hard. And truth be told, I believe that God's sacrifice is sufficient for all that would desire to come to know him, but it ain't for everybody. It's hard to, the Christian life requires from us obedience. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, don't fight against that. Put off the old and live in the new that God can give you in salvation with him.